Welcome to Language on Purpose with linguist, teacher, consultant, and veteran language learner, Mary Lynn Kinberg. Here's your host for today's show. Welcome, everyone. Let's start out the podcast with this question. When you first arrive in a country, how do you get off on the right foot with language learning? Our guest today is smack dab in the middle of language learning, but we want to ask about her early on experience and to give some advice for those crucial first weeks. Hey, Amy. Hello. Thanks for joining me in my Zoom room. It's, <laughs> it's nighttime here. And so what time is it there where you are? It is morning. I woke up probably about half an hour ago. Okay, so we'll give you a few yawns. That will be fine. <laughs> so you're in East Asia, correct? Yep, that's correct. And you and I met in a training program, and I'm currently working with you as your language learning coach. So how long have we been working together? At least we started working before you, before you left. Yeah, I'd say it's been just over a year now. So when did you arrive in country? You've been there nine months? No. This month I will reach a year. So it's been a little bit of time. Like I said, still in the thick of language learning, but been here long enough to kind of know what's up and what's down a little bit. <laughs> well, um, what do you hope to do there? I am uh, planning with some other friends of mine to open a language learning center, English teaching center, actually, because that's something that people here really desire. Um, we want to be here and actually offer something that the people want to be involved in and feel the need for. Well, you're going to have to have a pretty high level of fluency to be able to do that. So how far along do you feel like you are right now? I'm definitely still in the intermediate level. Some people might say that I'm higher than that. I don't I don't necessarily feel there, but I am progressing. I know that. I can see the progress of it, and language learning will continue to be a focus for a while still. You're kind of in that mushy middle ground, we call it, in language learning, where it just seems like you're never going to get out of the middle ground, but you've made, <laughs> you've, made, you've made really great progress. So what strategies have you used up to now for language learning? I've used a bunch of different strategies. It's helpful for me to know kind of how I learn. Um, I've learned that I do a lot better when I'm connecting with people and having to use the language that I have read from a book or I've learned from a different language teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to practice. I can review at home, but reviewing at home does not get it to stick in my brain. So I often am out with people and I have been intentional about what I talk with people about, kind of reviewing things that I've learned. I've also used flashcards, specifically ones where I can put a picture in instead of just an English translation. And I have also used different documents on my computer to record language that I've learned. Different strategies. I feel like it's always changing depending on where people are at in language learning. But it's helpful to have a strategy and to be intentional about what language is being learned 
and specifically what language you want to learn. Well, I think I know you well enough to say that you definitely are a relational learner. (laughs) That's where you shine when you're out and about and using language with your friends. You have been enrolled in language school from almost the very beginning, correct? Yes, I have been enrolled in language school, and I also have a side language helper. So I have two different, quote-unquote, official sources of input for the language strategies that I, that I have. So your, your language school is a couple of hours in every morning, and then how often do you meet with your, what we're calling your language helper? I uh, meet with uh, my language school tutors from there for two hours every day. And then at my language helper, I uh, meet with her twice a week, also for two hours. When you think back to those first few weeks, what decisions did you make that were, let's say, deal breakers for your language learning? I think that as I'm thinking back to the first few weeks, We'll even go to before I moved here. I feel like the location where I decided to live was huge. Um, I have some other friends that they live in a neighborhood that is much more quiet. That's a lot more difficult to connect with neighbors. And though they're pushing forward in language, I feel that because of the neighborhood that I live in and because of how often neighbors interact with one another, it's much easier for me to be able to get those language learning hours than it is for my friends that live in a quieter neighborhood. So that's even before I arrived here. Not that everybody can figure out exactly where they're going to live, but that's a huge thing to consider as you're moving and planning to learn language, choosing an environment that is going to have enough language contact with people that you can't avoid. I can't avoid talking to my neighbors in this neighborhood. Some of the other deal breaker kind of things, I decided pretty early on that I needed to be very intentional with how I engaged with people and to be okay with sitting through the awkwardness. Um, I feel like that's a huge thing. (laughs) Lots of times in those first weeks when I met with people, I had no idea what was being said. Maybe there were a couple people, they were talking back and forth to each other, but to be okay with sitting through the awkwardness or be okay with fumbling through, I think is a huge importance so that you can press forward with language. One thing I hear quite a bit, Amy, is I hear learners say, oh, I really can't get out um, because I don't know enough language yet. And when I know enough language, then I will go out and talk to people. So how have you overcome that? You said sit, how did you put it? Sit in the awkwardness. Sit in the awkwardness. (laughs) So there's definitely times that you don't know anything and to be able to be okay with kind of laughing at yourself, but people are talking to you, you're maybe putting up your shoulders as a question mark. What, what are you saying? I don't, I don't know. Kind of laughing. They look at you. I don't know how many things I agreed to in the first couple weeks that I was just nodding, agreeing with them. No idea what they said, but agreeing. Um, or there's really quick side story. I, at one point in time, I knew enough language to know the word for eating lunch together. I thought that a friend had invited me to eat lunch 
with her. She did invite me to eat lunch. Come to find out, she invited me to eat lunch three hours away from where we are. I didn't realize that I was joining her for a three-hour journey. So (laughs) there's things like that. And the entire time we went there, I sat in the car. There were a bunch of other people. I understood a handful of words. But having to be, be okay with your plans being a little bit shifted because of maybe things you agree to that you don't intend to agree to or (laughs) like going for three hours uh, to uh, eat lunch somewhere in a different city or being able to just sit in this, I don't know what you're saying. You don't necessarily know how to communicate with me. But one thing that I really discovered here, and I would say in a good chunk of the world, maybe not in the West as much, but people really care about presence a lot more than they care about the exact words that are being said, not saying that you don't have to learn language, but saying that it's okay to sit and not have to speak for the first bit. They don't look at you and go, oh, what's wrong with you? They look at you in a positive way because you're trying, you're being present. And I feel like that's a really huge piece in order to build relationships, even in those early times when you don't have the language to communicate well. So the payoff is worth being uncomfortable and yes. How have those relationships then deepened as you've learned more language? So something that's funny about here that I did not realize at the beginning, there's the national language and then there's local languages. So one of the ladies that I literally was sitting with almost every day, come to found out, she actually probably speaks in the local language a lot more than she speaks in the national language. I had no clue of this when I first was sitting with her, (laughs) but actually that lady, I'm still close to her. She considers me as family. She calls me one of her daughters. I don't do as much sitting with her anymore, but I've gotten really connected with one of her grandkids and I would actually consider, it's actually a couple. The grandchild is married. So I'm really close to that couple now and I feel through that relationship, I feel known. We can laugh together. And that relationship wouldn't have ever developed if I hadn't been able to sit in the, sit in the awkwardness um, in those first few weeks, first few months. Because through the relationship that I was built, I was able to be introduced to other people. And I was able to become part of the family without having the language for it. So those relationships were able to deepen after I was already, quote unquote, included in the family. As we talk in our coaching relationship, I see those relationships just getting deeper and deeper and being able to relate on a whole different level. Yes. Tell us about some of the language tasks that you had to do right from the beginning, like almost as soon as you got off the plane and opened the door to your apartment? Right from the beginning, I had to learn how to use their transportation system. It's not, I mean, they do have some sort of a bus kind of thing, but the more common transportation system, I would say is similar to an Uber or a Lyft type taxi slash kind of they pick you up where you're at system. But in order to do that, the drivers would often call me and I'd have the phone and I'd say, I have no idea what they're saying. Usually they're just confirming, where are you? Is the location correct? 
Um, and I could often understand nothing. So <laughs> I uh, would often say, I learned the first couple of phrases of that. There's a phrase that says, the point is correct or the location is correct. So I would often say that kind of on repeat, they're talking and all I would say is, the location is correct. The location is correct. Um, a little bit, maybe it sounded robotic to them, who knows. But I definitely had to learn how to communicate in that way, as well as this isn't necessarily a language task, but because of where I lived, I had to walk outside of my neighborhood. I had to figure out if somebody's going to bring me home, exactly where do I live? Because oftentimes, though there's a map, they would bring me to a spot that I was like, I don't recognize this. Where am I? So I had to figure that out too as part of the beginning language learning so that if they brought me to the wrong spot, I would be able to say, no, not here. Or I could tell them if they're wanting to turn the wrong direction, turn right or turn left. Kind of those beginning phrases. I, uh, they were mopeds, right? Yes. Yeah. That's not a car. It's a, it's not a car. They have their map app, but their map app, they kind of often have pinned on their bike in like a maybe precarious way that they're not as closely paying attention to it as maybe somebody would be in a car. So yes, I would sit on the back of a moped and the person would drive me so I could see where we were going, but I couldn't always know if we were turning the right way or not. So having to learn um, kind of boundaries around me, oh, I live near this building or I live near this street so that people had a better idea and having to become fluent in those words before I knew really anything else. You had to start texting right away too, didn't you? You communicated over the phone with the drivers, but you also had to text, correct? So you had to get some written language down pretty quickly. Yes. So the written language is also pretty simple, maybe similar to what I said earlier. I would more or less write, the location is correct. They could write something else. And I would have to say, okay, what are, what are they saying? Even though there's, what are those called? Dictionaries. My language is gone now, my English. <laughs> there's, there's dictionaries and there's translate. That doesn't work. I would say that as a side note. If you decide that you need to use translate for any reason, because sometimes it's necessary to at least get a word across, search one word at a time. If you search anything more than one word at a time, you don't get something accurate. I use, if I use translate, I use it as if I had a dictionary that, oh, okay, how do I say the word location? So I would look that up. Now I know even that is often faulty, but for the first couple of weeks, I would often search the one word to say, okay, how do I say right? How do I say left? Things of that nature. But yes, I had to have the connection with the drivers through text. So I asked friends that had already been here for a little while, what do I say? How do I communicate? So I learned things like the location is correct or things of that nature. Well, I want to ask you, going from that, how did you balance depending, just fending for yourself with the language that you had and 
uh, the tension between that and relying on other expats who had been there to do things for you? What kind of balance did you strike there? It's hard to say. I feel like my personality is such that I often get myself in trouble before I actually figure out what's going on. I kind of do things, do things on my own. Maybe some things I probably should have asked more, but I did thankfully have people that knew enough language and were trustworthy enough. So the really important things like learning how to say, this is my location or turn right or turn left. I asked that to my, to my friends or kind of the normal phrases of what do you say when you pass people? Those things I asked to my friends. And like I said before, I had to be okay with doing things incorrectly and kind of being made fun of, or even you have to be okay with people misinterpreting your intentions. I'm sure that there are lots of people here that at the beginning thought I was a very proud person, not because I in my opinion, I looked proud, but one thing that they have in the culture here is if you don't communicate with people and you walk by them without communicating, you look very proud. So I had to learn how to be okay with some things that I would be really uncomfortable with in a different, like if somebody in the United States said, oh, she's really proud, that would be very offensive. And it's an offensive thing here too, but I had to be okay with my intentions being misinterpreted. Yeah. So with that, Being wise in terms of what questions to ask your expat friends and what things, ask them. I didn't have any, oh, I need to know this. I need to know this. I asked my expat friends, I'm like, what are things that I really need to know as I start? What are language things that maybe I have no clue about that I need to know? Something that they say here more than saying, how are you? They ask, where are you going? Where are you coming from? My expat friends, actually my roommate was the one that told me, this is a normal phrase. This is what they say. They don't ask, how are you? They think that's a little bit weird sometimes. So I learned things from my expat friends, but I didn't let what I didn't know and what I hadn't learned from my expat friends keep me from interacting with neighbors in the culture and making mistakes. Great, Amy. I wanted to ask you, go back to working with your language helper Can you tell us some of the kinds of activities that you did with your native speaker language helper that were particularly useful at the beginning? Something that is also unique about this culture, and I feel like you'll find this in many cultures, specifically in Asia, but in other parts of the world as well, there is this system of addressing people. And I can't tell my neighbor, you. That's very rude if I call somebody you. I have to give them a title. And I knew that at the beginning, but I had no idea then, how do I talk to people? So something I did with my language helper is I cut out pictures of people of different ages, um, maybe a kind of a grandma age or a mom age or grandpa age, whatever age, and kids or people maybe that were my age. And I would talk to my language helper as if she was that person. Because she was holding this picture of a person, we knew that I was communicating with her as if she was that person. So then I could say, how do I, how do I ask this person, where are you going? Or how do I ask this person, what did you do today? And then I would learn those key phrases of what you say for you when you're talking to somebody who's older than you. 
what you say for you when you're talking to somebody that's your same age. What do you say for you when you're talking to a child? And all of those things are different because of the system of honorifics that they have here in terms of keeping titles for people's names and ages. And that was really important. So we often, every time we met for a while, we would use those pictures and we would kind of rehearse a scenario as if I was meeting somebody for the first time or as if I was passing them on the street and they started talking to me. Okay, how do I engage them in conversation? So we use those pictures to practice what I would say. Sometimes I had specifics like, oh, maybe I want to ask somebody about what they ate or their, their favorite food. Maybe I want to ask somebody that. So I would have the question in mind. Specifically, I'd have the question in English, and then I'd fumble through language trying to explain what I was wanting to ask them. And then we'd go through the skit or role play, I guess, with each of those different people in order for me to understand how do I address people, but then also how do I ask some specific questions. That was a very helpful activity. We also did a thing with language when I was learning some just basic vocab kind of words, things in the house or different kinds of fruit or what words you use for cooking. I printed off pictures for a lot of those. And what I found worked well for me this doesn't work the same with all tutors, but with my tutor and I, put, I put out probably 10 to 15 pictures on the table and the word would be said. Sometimes I would ask her to say the word in a sentence and then I would have to choose which word it was. If I didn't understand it or if it took me a little bit to choose, I wouldn't flip over that picture as not a flashcard, but I wouldn't make it so that that picture was done being reviewed for the day. I would continue to review that picture until I understood what she was saying. And then I would turn it over as if to say, I'm done with that picture for the day. So really doing a comprehension activity and focusing on um, just understanding and not actually having to pronounce the word or come up with the word. Yes. To begin with, I wasn't doing as much with speaking, though I am a person who probably is very quick to speak which I can say now there's some pronunciation things that I found even in the past couple of weeks that I said, oh no, I have to correct this. And I've already been saying this incorrectly for a year. So as much as possible, especially during the beginning, I think it is important to try to speak less so that you aren't developing bad habits before you know that they're bad habits. But it was a lot of just me listening in those beginning stages two different words. Um, sometimes I would actually use objects in my house. If I was learning cooking things, I grabbed a bowl, I grabbed a spoon, those kind of things. So we would pick up the items. I'm an interactive person as I'm learning. And honestly, I think most people are. As they learn, it probably sticks better if there's an object that's associated. So pick up a spoon. Okay, this is what a spoon is. Some people would call that like a strong encounter with the word because you're actually touching it. There's an actual physical response with the word. Yes. I wanted to ask you too, if you had some advice that you would give new learners for those first few weeks. Some advice that I would have for new learners. One, like I was saying before, be okay with sitting in the awkwardness. 
you're not going to understand things and it's okay. But also I would say too, don't try to figure out who you're going to be friends with and try to figure out this super long-term plan of this is what your relationships are going to look like and hold that much pressure. It's funny. One of the relationships that I'm closest with besides the grandma and the grandkids is somebody that I met who sells rice. I walked by their store. I didn't buy rice. I was trying to buy sugar that wasn't even the right kind of sugar. But um, as I talked with them, they became some of my closest friends. And I went back there and I've gotten to know them. When people ask me, oh yeah, where did you meet your friends? They're shocked at me that you met your friends in a random store. What? What is this? I've talked to somebody in, I would say in a larger store here as well, kind of the equivalent of maybe a a grocery store in the US. I talked to somebody there and got their phone number and we've still been able to be in communication. But I think that a big part of the advice that I would give is you never know which relationships are going to be developed. So don't shy away from talking to people. Not that you have to hold on to every relationship and try to balance 50 relationships, but it's been so surprising to me which relationships have stuck and which ones haven't. And I feel like if I was wanting things to be perfect when I first met with people, I wouldn't have any of the friends that I have currently. So that's a huge thing to be willing to sit in the awkwardness, be willing to jump into relationships and to see where they go. Something that I would also advise, I don't know if this is the same in lots of places, but being a white person, being very different, not that you can't learn language, obviously, if you're, you have a different skin color, but here it's very obvious that I look different than everybody else. And I'd say probably for most people when they go somewhere, they're going to look different than almost everybody else there. So I had to navigate and use wisdom. Are these people wanting to interact with me just because I'm different? Or are these people really wanting to be friends with me and have good intentions, not just want benefits from being my friend? And I think that's also a thing to navigate, but I wouldn't let that deter you from interacting with people again. Just being, being wise and discerning through friendships, what does this look like? I would also say, not that I never use English. People here don't speak very much English, but people here, when they can, they're proud that they can use, they can use English. But I would say, if you end up becoming close to people who speak English, make sure that they aren't your only contact. That will handicap you in learning language. And also, I would say, as a random side note, if you're going to be getting into things that you don't realize, be prepared for that. For me, I have a health condition, so I always have to be prepared. Um, every time I eat, I have to give myself kind of my health thing. So I have to bring that everywhere I go because who knows when somebody's going to feed me food or something of that nature. So I would say if you have something like that, or just in general to be prepared, if things don't go exactly as planned, maybe make sure you bring a power bank with you so you have your phone in case you're out longer than you anticipate because you're talking to somebody or trying to communicate with somebody. Oh, your phone dies and you can't get home. That's a problem. So I made sure at the very beginning, and I still do it, I always have something to charge my phone. I also have written down phone numbers of people so that in case there's an issue, I can use somebody else's phone to try to call local contacts that I have. 
those are important things in the beginning bit when you have no idea what's going on, just to make sure that you can still get out there, but at the same time, you don't get out there and you get stranded somewhere because your phone died and you don't know how to get home kind of idea. Well, Amy, as we've walked this journey together, you have demonstrated so much courage, so much perseverance, and you're just making great progress in your language learning. And I just really appreciate you sharing these things with us and telling us about your experience. But before we let you go, I really want you to tell us one of your super duper language bloopers. All right. I have a couple. I have to think through which one. One of the ones at the very beginning, which was really just funny. I had made food. It's a very normal thing here to share food with people. And I had made food similar to what I would make in the United States. And I decided I was going to share that with my friends, which was great. I had enough language to say, oh, yeah, I want to share this with you. Macaroni and cheese, right? <laughs> it, it wasn't. It was uh, actually stuffed peppers, which I had a bunch of different vegetables in it. One of the vegetables that I had in it was part of like a yellow squash. But the word that I had in my brain for yellow squash was not exactly the word that it was supposed to be. So in my brain, I kind of remembered the beginning of the word. And I was like, okay, I'll put a vowel at the end. And I know that there's a vowel at the end. And hopefully I chose the right one. I didn't choose the right one. (laughs) So as I'm, my friends are asking me, oh, what did you put in this? Which is a very normal question here. I said, oh, I have beef in it. I have garlic, I have blah, blah, blah. And then I said, and I have pepper. They looked at me. They knew that I didn't say the right word. They started laughing, but they couldn't explain to me what I had done wrong. They eventually called over another person just because they thought it was so funny. And they're like, oh yeah, they're going to try it too. Tell this person what is in it. So I said the same thing that I had said before, knowing that there was something wrong, but I didn't know what a different word to use. So I said the same thing. And they laughed again and they, uh, they didn't shy away from it because they knew that I wasn't actually being serious with what I said. But I was like, what, what word am I saying? What's going on? Come to find out, I didn't say I had yellow squash in my stuffed pepper. I had spiders. So I was telling all the neighbors I had put spiders in my food that I was feeding to them. <laughs> That's great that they asked you to say it again so they could get another round of laughs off of you. It's true. It's yeah. true. That is something else as a random quick suggestion. Be okay with being the thing that people laugh at. There's uh, oftentimes that I have done things and intentionally been the person to be laughed at. Like I said, I knew that I was saying the word wrong, but I didn't have any idea how to fix it. And I didn't have any idea how to explain to them what I was trying to say. Eventually, I found a picture on my phone, my search for a yellow squash, and then they were able to say, oh, it's not laba, it's labu. Okay. <laughs> Very different, even though the word sounds similar. But yes, they asked a number of times just so they could get another laugh. That's great, Amy. I really appreciate you being humble enough to tell us your, your super duper language blooper. Thank you so <laughs> much for being on the show tonight or this morning for you. <laughs> 
Thanks for having me. Well, we'll talk again soon. And anyone can learn a language if you just know how. Thanks, Amy. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks.